There is a trigger warning for this episode, as Hooks does mention suicidal ideation at one point, pretty briefly. All About Love, Chapter 13, Destiny, When Angels Speak of Love. This is the last chapter. Believing in divine love comforted me as a child when I felt overwhelmed by loneliness and sorrow. The solace of knowing I could speak my heart to God and the angels made me feel less alone. They were there with me during anguished and terrifying dark nights of the soul when no one understood. They were there with me, listening to my tears and my heartache. I could not see them, but I knew they were there. I heard them whispering to me about love's promise, letting me know all would be well with my soul, speaking to my heart in a divinely sweet secret language. Angels bear witness. They are the guardian spirits who watch, protect, and guide us throughout our lives. Sometimes they take a human form. At other times, they are pure spirit, unseen, unimaginable, just forever present. One sign that a religious awakening is taking place in our culture is our obsession with angels. Images with angels are everywhere. They are characters in movies, images in books, on note cards and calendars, on curtains and wallpaper. Angels represent for us a vision of innocence, of beings not burdened by guilt or shame. Whether we imagine them the dark, round-faced forms of Coptic tradition or the fair winged cherubs that we usually see, they are messengers of the divine. We see them as always bringing news that will give our hearts ease. Our cultural passion for the angelic expresses our longing to be in paradise, to return on earth to a time of connectedness and goodwill, to a time when we were heart whole. Even though the images of angels we most commonly see are childlike figures aglow with rapture and unspeakable delight, as messengers they carry the weight of our burdens, our sorrows, and our joys. In representations, they are most often given a childlike visage to remind us that enlightenment comes only as we return to a childlike state and are reborn. We see angels as lighthearted creatures in swift motion reaching for the heavens. Their being and the weight of their knowledge is never static. Always changing, they see through our false selves. Possessing psychic insight, intuition, and the wisdom of the heart, they stand for the promise of life fulfilled through the union of knowledge and responsibility. As guardians of the soul's well-being, they care for us and with us. Our turning toward the angelic is evocative of our yearning to embrace spiritual growth. It reveals our collective desire to return to love. The first stories of angels I heard as a child were told to church. From religious teachings, I learned that as messengers of the divine, angels were wise counselors. They were able to assist us in our spiritual growth. Unconditional lovers of the human spirit, they were there to help us face reality without fear. The story of an angel that remained most vivid to me throughout my childhood and on to my adult life was the narrative of Jacob's confrontation with the angel on his way home. Jacob was not just any old biblical hero. He was a man capable of intense, passionate love. Coming out of the wilderness, where as a young man he fled from familial strife, Jacob enters the land where his relatives live. He meets there his soulmate, Rachel. Even though he swiftly acknowledges his love for her, they can unite only after much hard work, struggle, and suffering. We are told Jacob served seven years for Rachel, but it seemed to him only a few days, quote, so great was the love he had to her, unquote. Interpreting this story in The Man Who Wrestled With God, John Sanford comments, the fact that Jacob could fall in love at all shows that a certain amount of psychological growth had taken place in him through his journey through the wilderness. So far, the only other woman in his life had been his mother. 
As long as a man remains in a state of psychological development in which his mother is the most important woman to him, he cannot mature as a man. A man's eros, his capacity for love and relatedness, must be freed from attachment to the mother and able to reach out to a woman who is his contemporary. Otherwise, he remains a demanding, dependent, childish person, unquote. Here, Sanford is speaking about negative dependency, which is not the same as healthy attachment. Men who are positively attached to their mothers are able to balance that bond, negotiating dependency and autonomy, and can extend it to affectional bonds with other women. In fact, most women know that a man who genuinely loves his mother is likely to be a better friend, partner, or mate than a man who has always been overly dependent on his mother, expecting her to unconditionally meet all of his needs. Since genuine love requires a recognition of the autonomy of ourselves and the other person, a man who has loved in childhood has already learned healthy practices of individuation. As Jacob labors for Rachel, making wrong choices and difficult decisions, he grows and matures. By the time they wed, he's able to be a loving partner. Meeting his soulmate doesn't mean Jacob's journey towards self-actualization and wholeness ends. When he receives a message from God that he should return to the home he once ran from, he must once again journey through the wilderness. Again and again, wise spiritual teachers share with us the understanding that the journey towards self-actualization and spiritual growth is an arduous one, full of challenges. Usually, it's downright difficult. Many of us believe our difficulties will end when we find a soulmate. Love does not lead to an end to difficulties. It provides us with the means to cope with our difficulties in ways that enhance our growth. Having worked and waited for love, Jacob becomes psychologically strong. He calls upon that strength when he must once again enter the wilderness to journey home. A divine voice brings Jacob the message that he must return to the land of his ancestors. As a man who has, returned to, who has learned to love, Jacob intuitively asks for guidance. He listens to his heart speak, and when the answer comes, he acts. Since he left home in the first place because he had conflicts with his brother Esau, the prospect of returning is frightening but he must come face to face with his past and seek reconciliation if he's to know inner peace and become fully mature. On the long journey home, Jacob continually engages in conversations with God. He prays, he meditates. Seeking solace and solitude, he goes in the dead of night and walks by a stream. There, a being he doesn't fully recognize wrestles with him. Unbeknownst to him, Jacob has been given the gift of meeting an angel face to face. Confronting his fears, his demons, his shadow self, Jacob surrenders the longing for safety. Psychologically, he enters a primal night and returns to a psychic space where he's not yet fully awake. It's as though he becomes a child in the womb, again striving to be reborn. The angel is not an adversary seeking to take his life, but rather comes as a witness, enabling him to receive the insight that there is joy in struggle. His fear is replaced by a sense of calm. In Soul Food, Stories to Nourish the Spirit and the Heart, Jack Kornfield and Christina Feldman write that we too can choose serenity in the midst of struggle. Quote, in that calmness, we begin to understand that peace is not the opposite of challenge and hardship. We understand that the presence of light is not a result of darkness ending. Peace is not found in the absence of challenge, but in our own capacity to be with hardship without judgment, prejudice, and resistance. I'm going to read that again. I messed it up. Peace is found not in the absence of challenge, but in our own capacity to be with hardship without judgment, prejudice, and resistance. We discover that we have the energy and the faith to heal ourselves and the world through an open-heartedness in this movement, unquote. As Jacob embraces his adversary, he moves through the darkness into the light. 
Rather than letting the angel go when light comes, Jacob demands and is given a blessing. Significantly, he cannot receive the blessing without first letting fear go and opening his heart to be touched by grace. Sanford writes, quote, Jacob refused to be refused to part with his experience until he knew its meaning, and this marked him as a man of spiritual greatness. Everyone who wrestles with his spiritual and psychological experience, and no matter how dark or frightening it is, refuses to let it go until he discovers his meaning, is having something of the Jacob experience. Such a person can come through his dark struggle to the other side reborn, but one who retreats and runs from his encounter with spiritual reality cannot be transformed should reassure us that the blessing the angel gives to Jacob comes in the form of a wound. Woundedness is not a cause for shame. It is necessary for spiritual growth and awakening. I can remember how strange it seemed to me as a child when I read this story over and over in my big book of Bible stories for children, that to be wounded could be a blessing. To my child's mind, woundedness was always negative. Being unable to protect oneself from hurt inflicted by others was a source of shame. In Coming Out of Shame, Gershon Kaufman and Lev Raphael contend, quote, Shame is the most disturbing emotion we ever experience directly about ourselves. For in the moment of shame, we feel deeply divided from ourselves. Shame is like a wound made by an unseen hand in response to defeat, failure, or rejection. At the same moment that we feel most disconnected, we long to embrace ourselves once more to feel re reunited. Shame divides us from ourselves, just as it divides us from others, and because we still yearn for reunion, shame is deeply disturbing, unquote. Shame about woundness keeps many people from seeking healing. They would rather deny or oppress the reality of hurt. In our culture, we hear a lot about guilt, but not enough about the politics of shame. As long as we feel shame, we can never believe ourselves worthy of love. Shame about being hurt often has its origins in childhood, and it is then that many of us first learn that it's a virtue to be silent about pain. In Banished Knowledge Facing Childhood Injuries, psychoanalyst Alice Miller states, quote, not to take one's own suffering seriously, to make light of it, or even to laugh at it, is considered good manners in our culture. This attitude is even called a virtue, and many people, at one time including myself, are proud of their lack of sensitivity toward their own fate, and above all, toward their own childhood, unquote. As more people have found the courage to break through shame and speak about woundedness in their lives, we are now subjected to a mean-spirited cultural response where all talk of woundedness is mocked. The belittling of anyone's attempt to name a context within which they were wounded or made a victim is a form of shaming. It's psychological terrorism. Shaming breaks our hearts. All individuals who are genuinely seeking well-being within a healing context realize that it's important to that process not to make being a victim a stance of pride or a location from which to simply blame others. We need to speak our shame and our pain courageously in order to recover. Addressing woundedness is not about blaming others. However, it does allow individuals who have been and are hurt to insist on accountability and responsibility, both from themselves and from those who were the agents of their suffering, as well as those who bore witness. Constructive confrontation aids our healing. The story of Jacob's confrontation with the angel is a narrative of healing precisely because it shows he is innocent. There's nothing he has done to anger the angel. The adversarial conflict is not of his making. He's not accountable, and he's not to blame for his wound. However, healing happens when he's able to embrace the wound as a blessing and assume responsibility for his actions. 
We are all wounded at times. A great many of us remain wounded in the place where we would know love. We carry that wound from childhood into adulthood and on, to, on into old age. The story of Jacob reminds us that embracing our wound is the way to heal. He accepts his vulnerability. Cornfield and Feldman remind us that the moment in which we are touched by pain and, quote, the unpredictability of life's changes, unquote, is the moment in which we can find salvation. Quote, as we turn toward the specific shadows in our own lives with an open heart and a clear and focused mind, we cease resisting and begin to understand and to heal. In order to do this, we must learn to feel deeply, not so much opening our eyes as opening the inner sense of the mind and the heart, unquote. When Jacob wrestles with the angel, he feels a heightened sense of awareness. Facing this struggle gives him the courage to persevere in his journey back to face conflicts and reconcile them rather than live in alienation and estrangement. As a nation, we need to gather our collective courage and face that our society's lovelessness is a wound. As we allow ourselves to acknowledge the pain of this wound when it pierces our flesh, and we feel in the depths of our soul a profound anguish of spirit, we come face to face with the possibility of conversion, of having a change of heart. In this way, recognition of the wound is a blessing because we are able to tend it, to care for the soul in ways that make us ready to receive the love that is promised. Angels bring to us the knowledge of how we must journey on the path to love and well-being. Coming to us in both human form and as, in, as pure spirit, they guide, instruct, and protect. Alice Miller chose to call the angelic force in an individual's life the enlightened witness. To her, this was, in particular, any individual who offered hope, love, and guidance to a wounded child in any dysfunctional setting. Most folks who come from a conflict-ridden family or a setting that was lacking in love remember the individuals who offered sympathy, understanding, and at times, way out. Speaking of her mother's miserable childhood, Hillary Clinton remembers that, quote, others outside the family circle stepped in and their help made all the difference, unquote. From childhood on, I found many of my angels and favorite authors, writers who created books that enabled me to understand life with greater complexity. These works opened my heart to compassion, forgiveness, and understanding. In her memoir, Are You Somebody? Irish journalist Nualo Fallon writes about the life-saving nature of books, declaring, quote, if there was nothing else, reading would obviously be worth living for, unquote. German poet Rainer Maria Rilke's autobiographical writing transformed my sense of self as a teenager. At a time when I felt like an outsider, unworthy and unwanted, his work gave me a way to see being an outsider as a place of creativity and possibility. In the concluding chapter of the memoir of my girlhood, Bone Black, I write, quote, Rilke gives meaning, meaning to the wilderness of spirit I am living in. His book is a world I enter and find myself. He tells me that everything terrible is really something helpless that wants help from us. I read letters to a young poet over and over. I am drowning, and it is the raft that takes me safely to the shore. Unquote. I received his book as a gift at a spiritual retreat. There, I met a priest who worked as a chaplain at a nearby college. He was one of the featured speakers. Intuiting the depths of my despair, he offered me solace. I was in my teens and had begun to feel as though I could not go on living. Suicidal longings dominated my waking thoughts and my nightmares. I believed death would release me from the overwhelming sadness that weighed me down. Listening to spiritual testimony at the retreat, I felt even more sorrowful. 
I couldn't understand how everyone else could be lifted by divine spirit when I felt more and more alone, as though I was falling into an abyss without hope of rescue. I never asked Father B what he saw when he looked at me or why I was chosen as one of the individuals he singled out for spiritual counseling. He touched my soul, offering to me and to everyone he connected with a loving spirit. In his presence, I felt chosen, beloved. Like many earthly angels who visit us and touch our lives with their visionary power and healing wisdom, I never encountered him again. But I've never forgotten his presence, the gifts he offered to me, gifts of love and compassion freely given. The presence of angels, of angelic spirits, reminds us that there is a realm of mystery that cannot be explained by human intellect or will. We all experience this mystery in our daily lives in some ways, however small, whether we see ourselves as spiritual or not. We find ourselves in the right place at the right time, ready and able to receive blessings without knowing just how we got there. Often, we look at events retrospectively and can trace a pattern, one that allows us to intuitively recognize the presence of an unseen spirit guiding and directing our path. When I was a young girl, I would lie in my attic bed and talk endlessly with divine spirit about the nature of love. Then, I did not imagine I would ever have the courage to speak about love without the solitary covering of secrecy or night. Like Jacob, wandering alone by the stream in the stillness of my pitch dark room, I grappled with the metaphysics of love, seeking to understand love's mystery. That grappling continued until my awareness intensified and a new vision of love came to me. Now I recognize that I was engaged from then until now in a disciplined spiritual practice, opening the heart. It led me to become a devout seeker on love's path, to talk with angels face to face unafraid. Understanding all the ways fear stands in the way of our knowing love challenges us. Fearful that believing in love's truths and letting them guide our lives will lead to further betrayal, we hold back from love when our hearts are full of longing. Being loving does not mean we will not be betrayed. Love helps us face betrayal without losing heart, and it renews our spirit so we can love again. No matter how hard or terrible our lot in life, to choose against lovelessness, to choose love, we can listen to the voices of hope that speak to us, that speak to our hearts. When angels speak of love, they tell us it is only by loving that we enter an earthly paradise. They tell us paradise is our home and love our true destiny.